Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 41 as we continue our ongoing study called God Meant It for Good, The Life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 41. We'll be reading there in just a few minutes. Genesis chapter 41. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one somewhere close by in one of those pew racks. Please take that and open it up to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 41. And we'll be reading there in just a few minutes. Understanding a local bar, uh, their patrons were sure that their bartender uh, was the strongest man around. And they offered a standing $1,000 bet. And this bet was that the bartender would squeeze a lemon until all the juice ran into a glass and then hand that lemon over to the contender. And anybody that could squeeze just one more drop of lemon juice out of that lemon would be given this $1,000. Well, many people over time, they tried weightlifters and longshoremen and those type of people, but nobody could do it. Well, one day a short, thin, balding little man came into that bar. He was wearing thick black rim glasses. He had on a double knit leisure suit. He was quite a sight to see. And he announced to this bartender that uh, in a very faint and tiny, squeaky voice, I'd like to try the bet. Well, after the laughter had died down, the, the bartender said, OK, and he grabbed a lemon and he squeezed that lemon. He squeezed away. Then he handed the dry, wrinkled remains of that lemon to this little man. And that little man took the lemon in his hand. And he put his little fist around it and the, the crowd, of course, is laughing and the laughter turned to total silence as one drop fell into the glass and then another drop and then another drop, then another drop. Six drops in all went into that glass from that emaciated lemon rind. Well, this crowd, they cheer and the bartender paid the little man a thousand dollars and asked him, what do you do for a living? He says, you're obviously not a lumberjack. <laughs> you're not a weightlifter. What do you do? And an almost imperceptible smile came across the little man's lips as he replied in a quiet but satisfied voice. I work for the IRS. <laughs> If you work for the IRS, uh, that's just uh, fun. But uh, let me put a disclaimer too: lest somebody's reaching for a care card right now. I'm not condoning you go down to the bar or you go gambling. Okay? Someone has divided the human race or class or people into to three classes. They said we have the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not paid for what they have, and that's how they divided our. Uh, people up today. And I want to talk to you this morning about what everybody is thinking about and everybody is talking about, and that is the economy. I want to talk to you today about money. And I want to talk to you from this passage here in Genesis chapter 41 as we're just studying right through it. You might think, well, preacher, it's a strange place to bring in a lesson on money, but I beg to differ. In fact, you're going to see today that Joseph speaks to Pharaoh about their economy. He talks to them about money. 
As a matter of fact, he gives Pharaoh some advice on the economy. One even called it a lesson on economics. Now, if you remember in our study on uh, Joseph from last week, Joseph has been hurriedly brought from prison. He's standing before Pharaoh because Pharaoh wants an interpretation over these dreams that he's had and, and about these cows or this corn. And we pick up the story there in verse 25, if you'll look at it with me. And it says in verse 25 of Genesis 41, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind or cows are seven years. The seven good ears of corn are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind or cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following. For it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. He brings this interpretation. Basically, seven years of great fruitfulness, and then seven years of great famine. Then we move from the interpretation to the instructions. And we find the instructions in verses 33 through 36, where we're going to study today. Let's read those verses. It says in verse 33, now, therefore, because of what I just told you, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn of the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. Now, I want to commit to you and state to you today that Joseph shows great boldness in giving this advice to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had not asked for it. He simply wanted an interpretation, but he listens nonetheless. One has to wonder what would have come of Joseph's interpretation what Pharaoh would have done if Joseph had not continued on giving these instructions. I believe it was God-given instruction just as it had been God-given interpretation. I ran across this article from Mark Biller with Sound Mind Investing. He was writing about Joseph. He said this, as I pondered this recently, I've wondered if Americans are facing a similar years of plenty, years of famine scenario. Over the past 26 years, the U.S. has experienced a phenomenal run of economic prosperity. Since 1982, we've had only two short, mild recessions of nine months each. How unusual has this period been? Consider that from 1900 to 1982, there were 19 recessions with a new one coming an average of just 3.5 years after each one finished. In addition to strong economic growth, the huge increases in the financial markets and home values further increased our wealth. Make no mistake, the economy of the past quarter century and the degree of incredible prosperity has produced have been quite unusual. He writes, ideally, 
We would have used such a period of such financial abundance to prepare personally and nationally for future financial storms. Sadly, the opposite has been largely true. I think he hit on something there. And I want to look at these verses today, verses 33 through 36. And I want us to see what we can learn from them. We notice right away, if you back up to verse 32, this truth, and that is God is in control. Joseph looks at Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all the world at that time, and says this. It is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. He said God is in control. God is in charge. And I want you to understand something today. God is in charge of the economy. These dreams involved cows and corn. It impacted their economy. Now, many of you farmers can really relate to this cows and corn and and chicken. They impact not just the price at the grocery store. They impact whether or not you can even go to the grocery store. They impact you directly. But I want you to understand something today, beloved. God is in charge of the economy. He sends the rain. He causes the crops to grow. He is in ultimate control. And Joseph stands there very boldly and says to Pharaoh, God is going to bring this to pass. God is going to establish this. God has already established this. It's going to happen. God is in control of the economy. At supper one night, seven-year-old Brad asked his dad why he thanked God every night for food that came from the grocery store. And Brad's dad picked up a roll from off the table there and said, where did this come from? (laughs) And Brad said, from the store. Where did they get it? I don't know, from the bakery. Where did they get it? Well, they made it. From what, asked the father? From flour. Where did they get that? From wheat. Where did that come from? The farmers. Where did the farmer get it? He grew it, said Brad. From what? Seed. And who made the seed? Brad said, God, I guess. And that, said the father, is why we thank him. God is in control. Back of the loaf is the snowy flower. And back of the flower, the mill. And back of the mill, the wheat, the shower, and the sun and the father's will. God is in control. And we notice that Joseph lets Pharaoh know that God is in control. Not Pharaoh. God. God will shortly bring it to pass. And as we look at what Joseph says to Pharaoh here, notice the instruction to do a couple of things. First of all, find a man. Find a man. Look at verse 33. Now, therefore, you know that Pharaoh, you know the interpretation. You know what God's going to do. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Find a man, not a committee, not a couple, not a group. Find a man. One man was going to have to head this all up. And we notice not just any man would do. It says, find a man who was discreet and wise. Your translation may say discerning and wise. Why? Why was it important that this man be discerning and wise? Well, because of what was at stake. This was a matter of life and death. An unwise man may not adequately prepare. And they would all perish. A greedy man might take advantage of the situation and become a tyrant as he controlled ultimately the life and death of all who come to him. A stupid man or a lazy man might procrastinate until it was too late. They needed a wise and discerning man to lead this endeavor. May I say today we need such leaders today. 
We need wise and discerning men and women who would govern us. We need wise and discerning men and women to serve us in our churches. We need wise and discerning men. Joseph said to Pharaoh, find a man. And then he said this, follow a plan. Find a man and follow a plan. And he lays out that plan for Pharaoh step by step. I want you to notice it with me. First of all, select officers. After you found the man, select officers. Verse 34. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land. What is that all about? Well, you have one man in charge. You have people under that man. These officers will be in these various cities and and they're going to be under the man in charge. Then he says, not only select officers, but save 20 percent of the crop. Look at verse 34 again. Appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. Select officers and and save and store 20 percent of the crop during the seven fruitful years. Now, how did they get this 20 percent? Was it through taxation? Was it through purchasing this grain? How was it? We're not sure it may have been both. But the important thing was that he saved 20 percent of the crop. Then notice, thirdly, he was to store the crop in the cities. Look at verse 35 and let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn of the hand of Pharaoh and let him keep the food in the cities. And that food shall be restored to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. That makes so much sense if you think about it. Joseph here. He's been a slave. He's been a prisoner for all this time. And he stands and says, hey, here's the plan. Find a man, put him in charge, put officers under him, save 20 percent of the crop during the good days, store those crops in the cities. Why? It'll be easy to distribute when the time comes during the years of famine. And some would say there's even a fourth step into this wise and masterful plan. Look at verse thirty five. It says, let them lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh. What's that about? Well, we think about the hand of Pharaoh representing, of course, power, authority. He is Pharaoh. He's in charge here under the Lord. But notice, likewise, it also can mean protection. That is under the authority and protection of Pharaoh. Why? Because when there's mass famine and mass starvation, people are going to loot and try to get the food. Protect these things. Now, this was a wise and masterful plan. Alistair Begg, in his book on Joseph called The Hand of God, said, we have said that Joseph's goals for Egypt's survival were smart. Someone has made this word into an acrostic for goal setting and may be helpful to you in your planning. Here is what smart S.M.A.R.T. goals look like. First, smart goals are specific. Joseph told Pharaoh in detail what needed to happen, specifying the people and system necessary to store up the food. Second, smart goals are measurable. Joseph said 20 percent easily measured. A third characteristic of smart goals is they're action oriented. Joseph's plan would have everybody in Egypt moving into action to implement it. Even Pharaoh had to get moving by finding an able administrator to oversee this project. So they're specific, they're measurable, they're action oriented. Fourth, smart goals are realistic. Joseph knew this plan was workable. It wasn't a pie in the sky concoction. It was not a silly idea. It was a masterful, wise plan. And fifth and finally, smart plans have a definite time frame. Now, the time frame here was obvious. Seven years of fruitfulness, seven years of bounty that Egypt was about to enjoy. Smart goals, specific, measurable, action oriented, realistic, a time frame. That's the kind of plan that Joseph laid out. Joseph's plan was smart. Why? 
because it was God's plan. Joseph was God's man with God's plan. It was smart. And we see here, beloved, the importance of preparing for the future. They set aside an amount during the good days to help them in the tough days. That is wise. God says in his word, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gather her food in the harvest. How long will thou sleep, O sluggard? When will thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. The Bible has much to say about money. The Bible has much to say about finances. God wants us to honor him and live in such a way that pleases him when it comes to our money and our possessions. Now, I'll be honest. We cannot get into great detail this morning in this study concerning money. But I do want to give you three or four things to take with you today. Three or four principles that will help you in regards to the finances, the possessions, the things that God has entrusted to you. And if you would write these down, if you don't get anything else, take these with you. I think they'll help you. I think, first of all, we need to surrender unreservedly. Surrender unreservedly. What do you mean, preacher? Well, I mean this. We have to remember we own nothing. We own nothing. God owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills, too. He owns it all. We are merely stewards or managers Of what God owns. We're to surrender unreservedly. We need to make sure that we first of all surrendered ourselves. 2 Corinthians 8, 5 says, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We need to surrender unreservedly. We need to transfer ownership of everything. Now, yes, he already owns it, but we need to give it to him literally. What do you mean literally? I mean, literally, we need to give him our homes, our cars, our businesses, our children, our spouses, our money, our bodies, everything and say, Lord, I surrender. It's yours. I'm yours. I'm surrendering. Now, let me ask you something, friend. Why would we hold back? Why would we not give? Are we fearful of God's keeping? Do you think you can do a better job managing yourself and your finances than God can? Do you think you can take care of the things that God has given you better than God can? I mean, we need to literally surrender them and say, Lord, I give them to you. I give you myself. I give you my wife. I give you my sons. I give you all that I have. I surrender. Surrender unreservedly. Have you done that? Secondly, we need to give generously. We've given ourselves first, but then we need to give generously. We start out specifically with our tithe. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes to the storehouse. There may be meat in mine house. Improve me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing, there should be not room enough to receive it. Where should you give your tithe? I believe to the local church. The local church. If you're a member of another local church visiting today, you need to give your time to your local church. If you're a member here, you need to give your time here. And I want to say something important today. Don't get stuck at the 10%. So many people say, well, I give my 10%. You've given your time, but above the times are offerings. 
That may be here to this church. It may be given other ways. God loveth a cheerful giver. Give generously, give cheerfully. And maybe here today and say, preacher, I can't afford to tithe. Friend, you can't afford not to tithe. I don't hear any amens. That's unsettling. People are getting nervous. You honor and obey God and watch how God will honor you. Surrender unreservedly. Give generously. It's going to get tougher. You ready? Spend carefully. Mm. Preacher's going for preaching the meddling now. Spend carefully. You need a budget. If you don't like the word budget, call it a spending plan. It's a plan to tell your money where to go. If you don't tell it where to go, it just goes. On its own. What's the old saying? To fail to plan is to plan to fail. But preacher, I don't make enough money to budget. Friend, you really need to budget. The less you make, the more important the budget is. If you're running out of money before month, you need to sit down and budget a spending plan. Everyone, hear me, everyone needs a spending plan. You just sit down and study God's word and figure out what God's word teaches there. And put down a plan and ask God to bless that plan. Everyone needs a spending plan. Spend carefully. So we're surrendering unreservedly, we're giving generously, we're spending carefully. And I want to say, fourth, save regularly. Save regularly. Say, hey, amen, some of you are excited now on that point. When you're living with no margin, when you're living with no reserves, when you're living with no savings at all, when something happens, don't say, I didn't say if something, I said when something happens, something's always happening. The tire goes flat. Somebody breaks their arm in the family. The washing machine gives up all kinds of things. You fill in the blank. What happens? You have no savings. You have no margin. What happens? You have to borrow money, whether it be from family, whether it be from somebody else, whether it be a credit card, whether it be a personal loan. You have to take on debt. Now, hear me. This is not a beat up on you session. What you understand that? This is not to make you feel bad today. I will not do that. But you need to save something regularly. Something. Joseph tells Pharaoh here this. Joseph says to Pharaoh, take up a fifth part of the land. That's 20%. Can everybody save 20%? No. No. Can everybody save 5%? No, not necessarily. Can you save something? Can you save 1%? Could you save $5? Put it in water and freeze it in the freezer if you need. Do something. <laughs> Set up an automatic draft where it pulls it out of one account before you even see it. Save something regularly. Why? Because when those troubles come, you have prepared for the future. Not beating up on anybody, not making you feel bad. Don't go away from me saying, man, he was so mean today. I'm trying to help you. Listen, Danielle and I have been in ministry our entire married life. We left our honeymoon and started pastoring the very next day. And it was either pastoring or working in Christian radio. We have had lean times in our life. We have never stockpiled money. God has always met our needs. God has always been faithful. We remember days when it was like to barely scrape by, but listen, maybe you're there right now. Maybe you say, preacher, in our economy, in this time, I'm barely scraping by. You need to surrender unreservedly. You need to say, God, everything that I am, everything I have, 
Everything I ever will have, my body, my wife, my husband, my children, it is all yours. You take it, I give it to you. There's tremendous release in placing it in his care. Tremendous release. It's yours. You need to surrender unreservedly. You need to give generously. If you're not tithing, you're robbing God. You need to tithe. Ten percent. Even before you pay your taxes, I believe. Gross, ten percent. Above that, give offerings as God leads you. You need to spend carefully. Spending plan, a budget. Live by that and you need to save something. Save something. Listen, don't you shut me down right here. I want you to hear something carefully. No matter how much you have in savings, don't you ever trust in that money. Our trust is not in money. Our trust is in God. Because money can be gone in a moment. In fact, every time you touch a coin or a bill in the United States, you ought to be reminded. Why? Because it says what? In God we trust. Not in that money. I know folks who trust in their money. And they live miserable lives. We don't trust in money. I want to give you a recommendation here. And I want you to take and listen to it for a moment. I want to touch and scratch the surface. I want to recommend this book. And I'm doing this as your pastor. I'm doing this as your friend. I want to recommend this book called Your Money Map by Howard Dayton. You can't have this. This was mine. Your Money Map. Amazon has it new in paperback for 1087, hardback for 1359 plus shipping and handling. You need to get this book and study it with your spouse. Study it together. It'll take you through Bible-based step-by-step to set your financial house in order. It's easy. It's practical. And it'll teach you what I'm telling you today. A lot of what I shared with you, I've learned through their ministry over the years. Larry Burkett and Crown Financial Ministries. This is Howard Dayton over it now. You need to get that book and study it and be wise and be good stewards of what God has given you. Joseph was telling Pharaoh here, prepare for the future. Famine is coming. Prepare for the future. A businessman had an angel come to visit him. And this angel came and said, I'll grant you one request. That man thought and requested a copy of the stock market quotes for one year in the future. As he was studying the future prices of the American and New York stock exchanges, he boasted of his plans and the increased riches that would be his because of his insider look into the future. As he was studying those stock quotes, his eyes moved across the page. To the obituary column. And there he saw his own picture. Now obviously in the light of certain death. Money. Was no longer important. Now that's a fictional story. But what a lesson. We remember today that money will buy a bed. But not sleep. (coughs) Books but not brains. Food but not an appetite. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Amusement, but not true happiness. Finery, but not beauty. And a crucifix, but not a savior. Friend, what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Listen, it doesn't matter whether you're as rich as a pharaoh or as poor as a church mouse. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your savior, what does it really matter? What does it really matter? 
as important as it is for us to prepare for our earthly futures and to be wise stewards financially and of our possessions, how much more important is it to prepare for our eternal futures? Let me ask you, friend, have you reserved a home in heaven? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior? Listen, you can't buy your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't be good enough. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's but but one way to heaven. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Have you prepared for your eternal future? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, friend, that is the most important thing you need to do this very moment. Repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Bill Bright died in July 19, 2003. But in closing today, I want to share with you a story that was written during his life about him and his wife. In the 1997 edition of Christianity Today, the author of this little piece was named Wendy Murray Zoba. And Wendy Zoba wrote, although Campus Crusade has worldwide revenues in 1996 of three hundred million dollars, Bill Bright at age 75 and his wife, Bonette, still raise their own monthly support from individual donors, just like any other Campus Crusade staff person. Together, they earn forty eight thousand annually. $29,000 for Bill and $19,000 for Vanette. After Bill won the Templeton Award for Progress in Religion in 1996, he relinquished that prize money in excess of $1 million for the purpose of developing a ministry of prayer and fasting. In 97, it says he recently liquidated $50,000 of his own retirement funds, writes Zoba, to help start up a training center in Moscow. All royalties from his books go to Campus Crusade. He does not accept speaking fees and has no savings account, though Vonette has a small one. So together they had a small savings account. The luxury condo where they live was donated to Campus Crusade for Christ. They pay $1,000 a month rent. They do not own a car and they have no property. After learning that, I think we can honestly say today that Bill... And Bonette Bright were free from the love of money. They were free from it. The question today is this. Are you free from the love of money? Am I free from the love of money? Are we prepared for our eternal future by knowing Christ? Are we being wise steward of what he's committed to us now and what he's given to us? We don't trust in money and funds and savings. We trust in God and God alone. Would you bow your head and close your eyes very quickly? I've given you a lot of information this morning, but I want you to get this, if nothing else. Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior, today is the day. You've sinned. We all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but God says the gift that I have for you is eternal life. Through my son, the Lord Jesus. And today, you can have that eternal life. God's working in your heart right now. Repent and trust Christ. In a moment, I'm going to invite you down to this altar. We'd love to talk with you about that and show you from God's word how you can know that you know that you know that your sin is forgiven. Heaven is your home and Christ is your Savior. 
I want to ask those today who know Christ as Savior. You've listened to this. Has God kind of been knocking at your heart's door? Are you being the steward that he'd have you to be? Have you surrendered unreservedly? Have you said, God, all that I have, all that I own, myself, my family, everything I have, I give to you. I surrender control. If you haven't done that, you need to do that today. You need to set out with God's help to be a wise steward. And I've given you some tools to do that today. But it starts with that first point, surrendering unreservedly. Would you do that today? You say, God, I'm not going to take this on. I'm not going to manage this in my own wisdom and strength. I want to be your manager. I want to be your steward. I want to trust you. This is your property. I give it to you. Give me wisdom. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We adore you. Today, I pray if someone's here and they don't know Christ, I pray that you'll bring them this invitation time and allow someone to take a Bible and share with them the glorious gospel and answer questions they may have. I pray, Lord, for Christians that if they have not, they'll come and surrender. Maybe some other issues on their hearts today. Lord, bring them in this offering, uh, this invitation, I pray. And we trust you now in Jesus' name. Amen.